The dwarf rests a fist on a warhammer holstered at her hip, head bowed and eyes shut in prayer. With her other hand, she wields a shield emblazoned with the hammer and anvil symbol ubiquitous among dwarven iconography, but in this case, no doubt meant to honor Moradin, lord of the dwarf pantheon. Such devotion is common among dwarves of all stripes, but something about this dwarf's presence hints at power behind that prayer. This scene, Sorolai, the hill dwarf, life domain cleric, is brought to you by Describe. Describe, ready roleplay. Visit describe.com slash RPGbot and use code RPGbot at checkout for 5% off your first subscription page. RPGbot.podcast. I'm Randall James, your devout diviner, and with me is Tyler Kempstra. Hi, everybody. And Ashy Lai. Oh, say. Wait, nope. <laughs> that was good. Thank you. I feel like I feel like I did this joke before yeah. the EASU Domine. Yeah. yeah, we're doing we're we did celestials, mm-hmm. and so now we're doing clerics. So I I got nothing. <laughs> it's it's holy uh, I got nothing. I don't know. I don't know prayers, sorry. <laughs> so the only thing that came to mind was the Star Spangled Banner. That's, so. that's like a prayer. <laughs> <laughs> that is, kind of. People treat it like a prayer. Yeah. What's the uh, touch? For, no, that's not a prayer either way. Anyway, Tyler, what's happening tonight? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, What's tonight? like a prayer? <laughs> oh. Live it on a prayer. Oh, there we go. That's the intro. Yeah, all right. <laughs> okay, tonight we are talking about clerics. So as we go through 2023 into 2024, um, we're looking at the release of 1D&D and the release of Tales of the Valiant coming in the same year. And that's to say nothing of Pathfinder Remastered coming later this year. So we're going to look at the design changes to the 5e cleric being proposed currently in 1D&D and currently in the Tales of the Valiant Alpha. And we're kind of going to do a side-by-side and, you know, see what works, what doesn't, which ideas we like personally and why, um, and just basically use the two different directions for the cleric to really dig into what is changing and why. So I think it's worth for the folks at home, like running through, talking through, okay, what exactly is one D&D? Let's give a one minute version. I know we've been talking about it, but I think it's worth hitting refresh on that. And then for a lot of folks, let's remind them what Tales of the Valiant is. Um, I want to open with one D&D with a very simple question. Are, are we still calling it one D&D? I feel like there was a thing yeah, where they were like, ask. <laughs> um, so the project is still being called one D&D. Like that is the initiative for the rules refresh. So they are. Wait, like, they're changing initiative? They're- <laughs> just call it just call it 5.5 guys that's what it yeah. is just call it 5.5 uh they're calling it the 2024 rules like the it is the 2024 version of the fifth edition rules okay uh, so 5e 2024 no. pretty much yeah okay this is like the this is like the xbox naming scheme i hate it when companies do this <laughs> it's like guys there's nothing wrong with just solid sequential mm-hmm numbers just keep the same number well, we could do like the canonical release for ubuntu mm-hmm. like that naming style where it's year yeah. and then month 
So we'll have like no. 2004, 2010, 2104. Then, Every two years you get a stable release. Everyone's going to ask like, but where's there's 19? And there's a reason why nobody besides programmers cares about Ubuntu. <laughs> That's fair. Okay. There's a couple of reasons. I mean, it's, there's also, there's also a reason why Windows stopped going by year and just went by number. Mm-hmm. Because people hated Windows 95, Windows 2000. It was just like, okay, can we just call it Windows Vista? Uh-huh. <laughs> now they're just doing Windows 8, Windows 9, Windows 10. Mm-hmm. I like it. Actually, it's perfect. It's fine. Keep it that there way. There was never a Windows 9 because a lot of the uh, software, a lot of software in the world depended on the first character in the version name to determine what version of Windows you were running. So a lot of software broke because it thought you were win- running either Windows 95 or Windows 98. So they just said, okay, there shall be no Windows 9. There shall be Windows 10 because we can't trust you people. See, I thought it was because the odd versions hey. of Windows sucked. <laughs> that too. Hey, shut up, Tyler. <laughs> You're ruining my point. <laughs> okay, so 1D&D is the name of the exercise that we're going through to eventually create the 2024 <laughs> rules. Uh, let's just say on the RPGbot.podcast, we're going to continue calling it 1D&D. Because... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, uh. Okay, so it's 1D&D. Uh, what is Tales of the Valiant? Tales of the Valiant is Cold Press's take on 5e. So following the OGL drama earlier this year, Cold Press, which is one of the largest and most recognized third-party creators for D&D, set out to create a, a, a more open version of 5th edition because it, if you've looked at the SRD for 5e, there's not a lot in there. Like, there are the core rules. There are the core classes, there's exactly one subclass for each, and there's a very small subset of monsters, basically just monsters that have public domain names. So, like, the the set of tools to work from is very, very small. So, Cobalt Press's aim was to answer one D&D, which very well may be a much more closed version of D&D than we've become accustomed to. So, they're going to answer one D&D with Tales of the Valiant, which is promising to be a more open, accessible version of the 5e rule set. They're going to publish under the Orc license, so literally like all of the rules for the game, much like Pathfinder, are going to be available for free to use, redistribute, build off of all of those things. So much more of a free licensing option. And so the reason we're excited to do this episode is, right, we have the 2014 cleric. Uh, That cleric has warts that lesser restoration cannot remove. (laughs) And there's a real opportunity going forward, both in 1D&D and Tales of the Valiant, to have some really awesome things, maybe plug some of those gaps. And we're excited to talk about how well do we think they're doing. Yeah, exactly. All right. So have either of you played a cleric in 5e? Absolutely not. I have. (laughs) How did you feel about that? They're they're all right. I played a death cleric named named Vola, who was an orc, who she worshipped the god of mystery, and she thought the biggest mystery was death. But... She would still animate dead. She just treated them like they were her babies. <laughs> she named them and mothered them and stuff like that. And if you died, she refused to revive you. She would bring you back as a zombie, but she was like, I'm not answering the biggest question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you had fun with it, right? I did. The way you have fun with clerics is you don't play a traditional cleric. You try to bend the rules or the theme a little bit. 
So people who have played clerics in 5e generally do really enjoy it. Like there's a lot to enjoy about 5e's clerics, especially compared to previous editions where the criticism has long been that, yes, the cleric is a heal bot that exists to heal and bot. And nobody wants to. <laughs> what does botting yeah. do? I don't know. <laughs> they don't know either. I don't... Mainly Whatever they spend I their time do, healing. I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess optimize or something. Yeah. <laughs> optimize that healing. Yeah. So historically, a lot of people just don't want to play clerics because they see cleric and from the decades of real world associations from various forms of games like, ah, oh, yes, I hear cleric, I hear healer. And that is the only thing that this thing does. Yeah, uh, by comparison, in fifth edition, clerics are essentially the whole party. <laughs> they don't. Yeah. Now you're the extraneous person. Why do I need a fighter when I can just have a war domain cleric? Why do yeah. I need a wizard when I can go arcana cleric or light cleric and just fireball everything to death? So why do I need you again? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you why. Because someone has to kill the undead. And it's not like the cleric's very good at that. Any better than anyone else, at least. No, yeah, not no. at all. Uh, yeah. Or, <laughs> hey, why do I need a rogue when I can be a trickery to be a cleric? <laughs> because because in 2014, you still have to have the rogue. Yeah. <laughs> trickery clerics are a rogue's best friend, but they are terrible rogues by themselves. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So... Anyway, 5e clerics, tons of fun to play, lots of great options. They really can fill almost any role in the party, depending on how you build them. So people love, 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 love 5e clerics, and they are one of the best classes in the game, depending on who you ask, not me. <laughs> <laughs> Wizard supremacy, we always know. Yes. So that said, um, as much fun as clerics are, as powerful as they are, they are not without design flaw. So both 1D&D and Tales of the Valiant have set out to address some pain points in the cleric. So before we get into like what's changing in the different versions of the 5e rules that are coming, let's talk about exactly what is wrong with the current cleric that people are trying to fix and why. Ash, you have played a cleric in 5e at length. Mm -hmm. um, what, like, what kind of mechanical problems did you run into? I it? think that... The one of the main issues that I I have with clerics is that their spell list doesn't really get interesting until you get like third or fourth level spells. Before that, it's you have a lot of support and utility spells, but you don't have a lot of damage spells or controlling spells. I mean, you have command and suggestion, which are but bards and stuff can do that. So the really the only damage thing you have at that point is guiding bolt and uh, spiritual weapon, which don't get me wrong, spiritual weapon is fantastic. But once you get to third level, then th third level spells, that's when you start getting into interesting stuff. Like for me, animate dead was was great. It was great. <laughs> I do I do like animating me some dead, and you know, uh, especially once you get into higher levels, you get like some of the stuff that really makes clerics stand apart from everyone, like flame strike or divine intervention. Even though divine intervention is essentially useless, but the flavor is cool. <laughs> but yeah, I would say that clerics at the beginning of the game can be kind of boring. 
Um, but I guess that's kind of true for a lot of classes, although I would argue the most fun class to play at low levels is a fighter, because as a fighter, you feel like you're awesome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, Watch everyone yeah. race past you. The other <laughs> thing that I would say is that I hope you like radiant damage, because that's the only type of damage you're going to be doing, <laughs> unless you're like a, <laughs> unless you're a light domain or a tempest cleric. You're going to be doing mostly the same types of damaging spells occasionally you'll get necrotic with inflict wounds or harm inflict wounds especially on death cleric is extremely good <laughs> um <laughs> but, but yeah so i would say that like if you're not into the flavor of the class like the holy divine like i would say even paladins feel more fun to play at certain parts than clerics do that might just be a personal preference of mine but I found smiting to be more enjoyable than some of the low-level cleric spells. The low-level cleric spells, I'm just like, what can I do? I guess I'm just going to guiding bolt it again. Because <laughs> that's all <laughs> I can really do. But that's just my experience. Your mileage may vary. Yeah, okay. it, 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 it's interesting in the structure. Like you, you talk about how am I going to deal damage. So if you look at the structure of most of the domains, in the 2014 Player's Handbook, you either got Divine Strike or you got potent cantrips mm -hmm. right so either you can be a little bit better at magic a little bit of magic like not not a lot <laughs> nothing meaningful or you can deal one d8 extra damage once per turn yeah also the other thing that i would say that i've forgot to mention the concentration thing is a real issue with clerics mm -hmm. like you feel it on a lot of classes but i feel like with clerics it really stands out because you know, with uh, with bards and wizards and stuff, they're expending their concentration stuff on, like, area of control or really making enemies' lives miserable for them. But as a cleric, you are mostly concentrating on stuff that gives your allies buffs. That's essential. So they've gone from being a heal bot to being a buff bot. And, like, especially at the beginning <laughs> of the game, I hope you like Bless, because that's what you're going to be concentrating on most of the time. And then once you get to third level... Hey, it's Spirit Guardians time. <laughs> and don't get me don't get me wrong, Spirit Guardians is fantastic, but it's the only spell you're ever going to be using your concentration on. So it is not worth your time to get any other concentration spells. Even if they seem cool, I guarantee you they are not as good as Spirit Guardians. Remind folks at home what Spirit Guardians do. So Spirit Guardians puts down a 20-foot area around you. Or no, 15-foot. I believe it's 15-foot uh, area around you in a circle. Creatures that are hostile to you or creatures that you designate have to make a wisdom saving throw or take damage, or they take half damage if they succeed. Your allies are not affected, so what's really great about Spirit Guardians is you can just wade into the thick of things and just watch your enemies burn down to ash. It's very fun. It also halves their speed, so it's really hard for them to get out. Yep. So, yeah, Spirit Guardians is really good area of control. It's guaranteed damage every turn that doesn't affect your allies. So literally anything else that you could concentrate on is just not worth it. Like, even Bless isn't worth it at that point. Because Bless, Bless is good at the beginning of the game when a D4 really makes a difference. But at higher levels, D4 is not going to make that much of a difference for people. So you switch from concentrating only on Bless to concentrating only on Spirit Guardian, so it really limits your options as to... Because there are some cool, really cool-sounding concentration effects that clerics can do, but you just never see them in-game because they're not as good as Spirit Guardians. 
No, it's it's the equivalent of other spells and fireball. Like I need to yeah. deal damage. I'd like to deal a lot of damage. What am I going to do? I'm going to fireball. I would like mm-hmm. to use concentration to do something useful. Okay, here's my measuring stick. Is it better than spirit guardians? <laughs> Almost never. That's where I think concentration really hurts the cleric more than anyone else. Like I think I, concentration after playing Pathfinder both one and two, I would say concentration is one of my biggest gripes with 5e. I think that it really limits people and puts them, pigeonholes them into a certain play style. There's nothing wrong with having a few like buffs going at the same time. I realize it can get out of hand, but so many spells in 5e require concentration that there are certain spells that you are just never going to see in a campaign because they require concentration. Yeah, that's absolutely the case. Clerics being locked into Spirit Guardians because it's so good is absolutely one of the problems that they need to fix going into 2024. And honestly, they no one has tried to fix that yet. <laughs> that's still a problem. Like, even Baldur's Gate 3 nerfed Spirit Guardians. Like, they cut the radius in half, and it's still really, really good. It's still um, insanely good. Like, you can walk mm-hmm. in and walk out and just do damage. And yep. uh, they also nerfed it so that it doesn't slow your speed at all. Still really good. <laughs> like, it's still yeah. guaranteed damage <laughs> doing nothing mm-hmm. that you can use, use your action on other things to do more damage with. So, <laughs> yeah, it. it I mean, it's a classic thing. You get up spirit guardians and then you cast spiritual weapons. So your bonus action is busy and that's all you have to do. Then you just dodge so no one can hit you and break concentration and you're fine. So, yeah, like there are problems with the cleric. Some of the problems are like there is one option that is so good. There's no reason to do anything else. And that makes the entire class bland as a result. Blasters for wizards are really bland because fireball. Everyone just cast Fireball. There isn't a better Blast spell than Fireball. Which is why uh, when we talked about like Evocation Wizards, I forget which ep- recent episode we talked about that, I was saying mm-hmm. Evocation Wizards are boring because you're just Fireballing. That's all you're doing. Yep. You're just If you're doing <laughs> any other Blasting spell in Evocation Wizards, you're doing it wrong. You're Fireballing. That's all you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> then eventually, occasionally, Magic Missling people. I mean, that's also a fun time. Chain Lightning... No. Mostly fireball, though. Mostly fireball. <laughs> Occasionally right. a cone of cold. <laughs> Why? Yeah, they, 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 they figure, is it is it the evoker wizard where you get your you get to add your intelligence bonus to one die roll and the four mm-hmm. magic missile actually outscales fireball? Against single targets, yeah. It also yeah. eliminates the main drawback of fireball, which is that it damages your allies. You don't have to worry about it anymore. anymore. Not anymore. Yeah. So now you get in there, you, which is why I hate picking evocation wizards because basically mm-hmm. I have said, okay, so the one, the one time where I am maybe pushed to do another spell that that scenario no longer exists. So I am just always good. The all, uh, what am I doing with my turn? Fireball. Do I have slots? It's fireball time. Um, yeah. So <laughs> you get the wheel yeah. out, you flip the wheel, every slot on the wheel says fireball. And then what, there's, a slim thing it's like what if you magic missile this yeah guy? which is why like pick any other wizard subclass <laughs> all right so i i think that hits the point really well though when yeah. there is exactly one best option all choice is an illusion and players uh, dnd players are smart enough to recognize the illusion of choice especially character optimizers who are looking at all of the choices saying like none of these are better than fireball or spirit guardians yeah so 
that is a problem. I hope to see that addressed. There are other problems here. Um, I, I wrote myself a little list of things that bother me. One of the problems a lot of people have is domains lock you into either being a caster cleric or a heavy armor cleric. People won't be able to mix and match that. The divine strikes feature, it sucks. It's bad. People look at it and they're like, oh, this is so cool. I get to add a D8 thunder damage when I hit somebody with my mace. You know what's better than that? You know what's always going to be better than that? Any cantrip. Mm -hmm. Literally any cantrip. Mm -hmm. Pick one. They will always mathematically outperform Divine Strikes, no matter how good you are with Divine Strikes. So that needs to be fixed. Uh, Spirit Guardians is too good. Channel Divinity, um, like, I personally never had this problem, but it gets back to that pacing problem in 5e where pacing rests is really hard. But people want Channel Divinity to be available more consistently throughout the day. So you're not like, oh, I have one encounter where I use all of them. And then we have a short rest, and then I don't use any until the next short rest. And People don't like that. Destroy Undead is and has always been useless in every single edition of D&D I've ever played. Because reasonably, if you're ever up against Undead of a low enough level that Destroy Undead would be useful, you're going to fireball them. See, this is where I think D&D could learn something from Baldur's Gate. Because what mm-hmm. they did with with Turn Undead, I think, or, or Destroy Undead is really brilliant, actually. Which is that uh, when you would get that feature, you, instead of destroying creatures of a certain CR, you now do radiant damage to undead creatures that are turned by your effect. Which is great. I don't know why they didn't think of that before. That's <laughs> fantastic. It's area of effect damage that doesn't hurt your allies and only affects undead. That makes clerics so good against undead because it, uh, I, when I'm playing a cleric and I'm fighting like Strahd, I don't feel like I'm doing anything more than like a paladin could do. So like mm-hmm. if clerics are supposed to be the counter to undead, give them more anti-undead stuff. You're going to have a lot of fun when we talk about one D&D. Yeah. <laughs> oh, did they do that? Okay, good. They yeah. did, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. <laughs> All well, right. that's and, me uh, letting my tongue get ahead of myself. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Last two points. Ash already hit on these. Uh, divine intervention, basically useless until you get level 20. And then we mentioned earlier, trickery clerics are really, really hard. I hope somebody gets them right. So all of those gripes put out into the world, all of our various problems with clerics. Let's take a deep breath, take a quick ad break, and then we'll kind of come we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about what's being done to fix them. Sorry, I ranted so much. <laughs> that was fine. good. No, that was a that was a great discussion. That was fun. Okay. That was the best pod. All right. So we we've taken a short rest. Channel Divinity is recharged. Let's talk about optional class features, because these were the first attempt to fix the design issues in the 2014 core classes. So every class in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything got some optional class features. Everyone except the Artificer, which was, you know, printed in full in Tasha's. So clerics got three. I'm not going to count the additional spells because it was just here's more spells on your spell list. Enjoy. So they got harness divine power, cantrip versatility, and blessed strike. So let's look at each of those three and basically try and figure out like what problem did they see that they were trying to fix? Did they succeed? No. So harness divine power. <laughs> no. Yeah, maybe. No. So harness divine power lets you use channel divinity a few times per day. Like I think it maxes out at three, and you can turn your channel divinity into a spell slot. So it maxes out at third level spell slot. So it's like, oh, I could turn this into like a healing word or a spiritual weapon or a, a fireball. Uh, 
<laughs> but it's not going to be like, ah, yes, another sixth level spell slot. So what problem were they trying to solve with this? Did they do it? Um, I know. I never use my channel divinities. I have yeah. a short rest and I have one in my pocket. I might as well turn it into a spell slot and uh, then take my short rest. I get, yeah, I think they were trying to address people not using their channel divinities, but the they didn't solve the problem. I mean, they did from their perspective, but the problem wasn't that, you know, people weren't using their channel divinities. The problem was that some channel divinities just aren't worth using. Like, there's a huge disparity between the different subclasses. Some channel divinities, like War God's Blessing, are insanely good, and you should be using them a lot. <laughs> or Tempest Cleric, where they get to maximize the lightning damage on one of their lightning spells. And then you have Trick Rachel Pink, which is, you get advantage on stealth checks. Woo! No, not even you. An ally. No, an, an ally. ally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, hey, that's not even a channel divinity. You can do that whenever you want. Oh, you can? I thought that was a channel divinity. Okay. No, yeah, their channel divinity is invoke duplicity. Invoke duplicity, which is yeah. Like, I oh, put yeah. an illusion oh, of yeah. myself. Even worse, even worse. It's, uh, I, put a, I put a duplicate of myself. Cool. I, I think it could be fun. I think, I think people sleep on that one, honestly. Like, I rated that one high for a reason, but there's a whole article that I wrote yeah. for that. and There's, there's a link in the show. Let's go take a look. Yeah, there's other examples right. of like, you know, very situationally useful divine. Yeah. Inter uh, I mean, uh, channel divinities like the knowledge one, the knowledge one, uh, I believe, gives you some proficiencies. But like, realistically, you're not going to be using that uh, on any given day. You're going to be using that like during downtime or something. But with. Uh, so you have some subclasses that you're going to be using on mostly every encounter, and you have some subclasses that you're lucky if you use them in a day. So that was the problem. It wasn't. Well, and, yeah. I'm going to agree with you. If anything, they actually made it worse because they're yeah. like, you're in a fight. You're pretty sure you're going to get a, a short rest after this, and you're thinking to yourself, I might as well burn my channel divinity and see if it does anything good. I don't know. I'm I'm a knowledge cleric. I'm going to read some thoughts. Let's see what's going on in, in, in this Noel's head. Uh, but then you're like, but wait a second. I have harness divine power, and I'm going to get a short rest. I'm going to get me a spell slot, baby. I'm <laughs> like, I'm never going to use my channel of divinity because you know what's more fun? Fireballs. Well, I guess he doesn't have fireball, but whatever yeah. he does, that's yeah. the point. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it didn't address the problem. Like, uh, it either so subclasses that already had good channel divinities didn't really change their math. They were going to probably still do the same. Like War God's Blessing is just so good that you would need. I, I can't imagine a situation where I wouldn't use it. Um, but uh, the ones that had bad channel divinities, they're now just spending it on that. So it's just yeah. cool. You gave less. I, I don't know. It didn't. It solved the problem. That wasn't. <laughs> it, it made it worse. I 100% yeah. agree with you. Okay, so next thing, cantrip versatility. You can retrain one cantrip every time you get an ability score increase. Were people doing that anyway? I, I think people <laughs> are a lot more flexible than the rules suggest on like changing cantrips because like you don't want to punish people for picking cantrip that looks good on paper and just doesn't work yeah, out like I, like i yeah. let my players change cantrips if one is not working like I, this strict adherence yeah. like you can only change cantrips at certain times like why <laughs> it's like why are we punishing players <laughs> I think the intent is just to keep them from like, oh, yeah, I'm going to change my cantrips every day to exactly suit the situation. That, they fair. want you to be more locked in. That, that's, fine. But that's okay. kind of more up to DM discretion, I feel. But. Yeah. 
All right, and then Blessed Strikes. This one I'm actually excited about. So uh, this replaces either Potent Spellcasting or Divine Strikes. The the name is very confusing, Blessed Strikes. Uh, when you deal damage with a cantrip or a weapon attack, like once per round resets at the beginning of your turn, you can add 1d8 radiant damage to the damage. So like I could cast Sacred Flame and add a d8. I could hit someone with a mace and add 1d8. And I could alternate turns doing that if I wanted. It's still better doing Sacred Flame. You know what's better than a cantrip? A cantrip where you get to add 1d8 damage to it? Sure is. You know what's better than a mace where you can add 1d8 to it, to the damage? Any cantrip. Any cantrip. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, So not a lot of maces, but... So I think I think they did realize like okay divine strikes isn't giving people the fantasy that they want they still want to be able to do caster clerics and heavy armor they still want to be able to do weapon clerics and medium armor but they got so close to fixing the fact that divine strikes still sucks so blessed strikes one thing that kind of snuck in that a lot of people don't notice it works outside of your turn so you can use it on attacks of opportunity which you can't do with divine strikes so like even if you're like oh yeah i'm never going to use a weapon during my turn but i'll have a mace for opportunity attacks like haha 2d8 thunder damage enjoy that no only on your turn sucks to be you but blessed strike fix that and i'm happy about it no it's an improvement and and it's weird because what they did in one dnd is almost I, i I think maybe we're going to say it's best of both worlds. Let's look at it. Let's see what we actually think. Yeah. All right. So let's hop into it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to start running through these things and let's stop and we'll talk about the things that we that are interesting. Okay. Off the top. We, we talked about how like your domain locks you into either you get your heavy armor or you're going to be good at magic. One or the other. Okay. So now we have divine order. Choose one of these. You have protector which is the problem we were talking about before. You're trained for battle. You gain uh, one martial weapon of proficiency and heavy armor training. Or Thaumaturge, your second option. Choose one. Uh, you know one extra cantrip from the divine spell list. In addition, you, you get a bonus to religion checks. Meh. Yeah. I mean, it, it means clerics are finally better at religion than wizards are. Yeah, for that that was so dumb. <laughs> That's always been dumb to me. Like, why are clerics bad at religion checks? Okay, yeah. I could I could make some so I can make some real world analogies. Like you you know like a cleric who's like you're knee deep in the religion, but maybe you're not actually studying religions at large or even years versus mm. the person who actually reads books. <laughs> but I digress. We can keep going. Okay, channel divinity. But yeah, like, yeah, uh, channel divinity. Uh, yeah, sorry. I, I, I have to go back for a second. I have to go back for a second, okay? It's stupid that clerics are bad at religion and stupid that druids are bad at nature. That's all I got to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty fair. Yeah. <laughs> we, we agree. Okay. It, it doesn't make the thematic sense. You yeah. got to work your you got to work your way backwards into that one. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Channel Divinity, they tried some things in previous UAs, and, and let's just really compare. Where where were we in 2014? Where are we now? The old mechanism for this, you kind of had three tiers of it, where uh, second level to fifth level, you got one use between each short rest. Uh, so assuming three short rests, you'd get four a day. Level six through 17, huge gap. You get two, and again, on a short rest, they all come back. And so maybe you get eight a day if you're doing three short rests a day. Uh, levels 18, 19, 20, you get three uses, come back in a short rest. So on a three short rest day, you can actually get 12 uses of Channel Divinity. Cool, right? 
what you yeah. get in the new system feels attractive, but I feel like you actually look at the math and you're like, actually, no, oh God, what are you doing to me? So Why? much worse. Yeah. So let's make the same assumptions. At level two, at levels two through five, you're going to get two, but you get one back per short rest. Uh, so levels two through five, you get five instead of four. It's a win. You're actually doing better. You open the day with two. If you want to be spicy, you can burn them both. But then you got to take a short rest to get back to one, which is where you were to begin with. Level six through uh, 17, you get three. But again, you only get one back per short rest. So instead of getting up to eight a day, you're getting six. Uh, and then, yeah, 18, 19, and 20, you get four. So you're getting at most seven a day, whereas you used to get 12. So it feels nice that you start with this big pool in your pocket and they're available to you. but you're not getting that pullback every time you take a short rest. So I, I, I almost think they're going to make it worse and that you're going to be conservative. The good news, now let me give a little optimism. We're, we're not going to go through and say every single place where, oh, this used to be a channel divinity and now it's, it's just a, a feat. But th there's plenty of places where you're not actually burning a channel to divinity to do a thing. You're just doing a thing. And maybe that's going to account for it. I, yeah, time will tell. So the baseline assumption for pacing in 5e is that you get two short rests per long rest. Okay. So that does adjust that math a little bit. Personally, I, I actually think this is better because it it lets you distribute your uses of channel divinity more evenly across the day. So you don't run into that problem where like, oh, I need channel divinity a bunch of times in this one fight and then never again for the rest of the day. If that happens to you, you're fine. You still have most of your channel divinity uses when the day starts, and you can meter those out however you like. So, like, it, it offers some flexibility. You're less dependent on short rests, and 1D&D &D does seem to be really trying to make short rests less essential because people are so bad at pacing them. Another one of those cases where the designers are like, look, we're making changes because we can't trust you. It's yeah, fine. No, it's, it's fair. It's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm meh about this change. I think it's fine. It's okay. I, I think th the way that it's going to be impactful is if we find that the things that are no longer considered channel divinities are worth it, such that the things we get to focus our channel divinity on actually make make the feature worth it. Um, yeah. I'm going to carry us on, though, because there's a lot here to hit. So, uh, Ash, you're going to be really excited. I said it was coming. At fifth level, we now get Smite Undead. This is a brand new one. Uh, finally, some good damage for the undead. <laughs> Take your wisdom modifier. When you do turn undead, anything that fails the turn undead uh, wisdom check takes your wisdom modifier times D8 damage. So if you have wisdom modifier of plus three, you're going to deal 3D8 damage to those creatures. Good, good change. I like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, it is radiant damage, but I feel like that's almost always going to be effective. So yeah, it's nice. I like no, it. Good change, that is, Watsi. That, that is an objectively good change. I agree. All right. Now let's go to uh, seventh level Blessed Strike. So in Tasha's, this was eighth level, and it was also different. So let's not confuse the issue. They're, <laughs> they're recycling the name. We're going to have fun with it. Okay. Uh, I do actually think this is it's a good simplification because it's a class feature. Uh, you used to get Divine Strike at eighth level, or you got Potent Spellcasting at eighth level. Now, and, and depending on your domain, you get one or the other. Now, at seventh level, just choose one. Yeah, so instead of being locked in from your domain, it's a choice. I like yeah. that. People are still probably going to pick potent spellcasting over divine strike, but you know, yeah, because <laughs> mathematically it's still better, and also they buffed it. Yeah. <laughs> 
it's like just just really kicking those uh, melee clerics while they're down. Yeah. The the other thing that happens here uh, at level fourteen, you used to get an improved divine strike. Mm-hmm. Um, now they have this improved blessed strikes, and what it does is it basically gives you your old improved divine strike, but it also gives you something for potent spellcasting. So if if you used to be one of the domains that got potent spellcasting, not divine strike, you never got the follow up. Things never got any better for you with potent spellcasting. <laughs> now because they're they're tying them together, and you're saying you're taking one or the other, they're making sure to give you something at fourteenth level. Uh, so at fourteenth level, your potent spellcasting. In addition to what you were getting before, you can give yourself or another creature within 60 feet of you temporary hit points equal to twice your wisdom modifier. I mean, that that's a big amount of temporary hit points. That's going to be really, really effective. And potent spellcasting didn't need that buff. It, yep. It's too good now. One of the things that I thought about here that excited me is... We, I've had this conversation recently because I knocked down a bunch of people, but kind of teaching folks that like, the, yeah, good DMing. Uh, the way the action economy works in 5e, it's like you almost always need to be pressing the attack if people are falling, because if you try to bring them up, you're only going to deal the hit, po- hit point ping pong and people are going to die. Now I can do both. I can move you know, your HP bar down. I can move your HP bar up. And every turn, I'm just making sure that I'm popping one more person up so we don't get that TPK. Unless you kill me, yeah. in which case, yeah. <laughs> All right, another freebie. So we, we talked about Spider Undead. Hey, here's something brand new. It's a little bit fun. Uh, now, ninth level, uh, Commune. So you just have Commune prepared. It's just, it's there for you. You have it. It's always prepared. You can use it. I feel like that's going to be fun, but it's, I don't want to say it's not mechanically impactful. It's like, how do I solve this puzzle, God? Um, that, <laughs> it's it's going to come in handy. Big one, Divine Intervention. So Divine Intervention absolutely used to suck. Let's talk about how this worked. What it used to be is you get to roll percentile die, and as long as what you rolled was less than your level, great, you get a thing from your deity. Like, I, I need some help. Could you do this? And what do I get? I, I get a cleric spell. That's what you're going to give me for this. I'm going to get a cleric spell. All right, so let's do the math on that right quick. What's that say? At 10th level... I actually have less than a 10% chance of using my action to get a cleric spell. You know what I have as a cleric already? You know what I got a lot of? I got a lot of cleric spells. I didn't need divine (laughs) intervention for that. (laughs) Well, I will say that if you're if you have a nice a good DM and a nice DM, divine intervention isn't just a cleric spell. It could be like your god directly intervene and punching the guy for a bunch of damage or something cool. <laughs> but if yeah. you're if you're a DM is just like you get a cool spell that you can already cast, that's a bad DM. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and, so the kicker here is you know because I'm a prepared caster, maybe I'm getting a spell like I don't have this ready, but give me a ten percent shot of getting it. And that's actually the improvement that they made. Is now it it just works. So there's none of this roll to see if it works. It is you get a fifth level or lower non-reaction spell. So anything that would consume an action or a bonus action. On the cleric spell list, fifth level or lower, you say, oh, deity, could I please have this? And you get it. Uh, I feel it's almost a little analogous to what they're doing with a wizard and memorize. Like, hey, once per day, I'm going to give you something that's available to you, but not on your prepared list. For the wizard, it's a sub-in. Here, it's like, hey, uh, I don't know. No god. <laughs> give me this. <laughs> Raise this guy from the dead for me. I don't have any diamonds. Cool. Yeah. No, exactly. And then we get 
at 20th level here, we get greater divine intervention. All the wish, none of the stress. So good times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, overall, I think uh, there's a lot of good changes there. I'm excited about a lot of them. Um, I Like I said, I think the uh, buff to potent spellcasting was completely unnecessary. But yeah, otherwise, I'm pretty happy. All right, we did get four subclasses. In the interest of time, I'm going to roll through just a couple high notes. If you thought something was a high note that I didn't think was a high note, it's because I actually thought it was a high note too, but I wanted to keep it between us. <laughs> all right, I'm going to jump all the way to the uh, trickery domain cleric. Uh, there's some great improvements to invoke duplicity, uh, especially at 17 level, the improved duplicity. Now all of your friends also get advantage from your folks. So you can literally just... Four of you running out, including you as five, giving everybody advantage on all of their strikes, causing all kinds of problems. Uh, and hey, at the end, either use a bonus action to dismiss it, or even if you're incapacitated, you get to heal folks too. And so it's kind of at the end, like one more like, ah, ha, ha, you know, you've knocked me down, but I rise again. That's like a chumbawamba <laughs> thing. Anyway, the war domain, a lot of fun. Uh, weapon mastery, we think is going to be a lot of fun for making marshals fun to play. At third level, as part of War Priest, you now get a Weapon Master. Uh, and so you get to engage as a cleric in all of that good, old-fashioned fun. For the War Domain also, uh, so we have Guided Strike. There used to be Guided Strike. There also used to be War God's Blessing. They merged them all into one third-level feature, Guiding Strike. So you don't have to wait for War God's Blessing to sixth level. You get it at third level. And, and it's a lot of fun. So if you or a creature within 30 feet of you miss an attack roll hey why don't you try that or no don't try it again just add 10 to it and if you add 10 to it and it hits boom like we're having a great time <laughs> there's a new war god's blessing it has nothing to do with the old war god's blessing uh you get to cast shield of faith for you and a friend it's pretty good yeah yeah, yeah. I, I, feel, I feel like war domain kind of always struggled to be interesting it always looked very tempting but when you dig into the mechanics like but yeah, this sounds like a lot more fun. Yeah, War Domain Clerics are taken specifically for Guiding Strike and nothing else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be a lot more fun to, to like, like we talked about before, like live the fantasy you're wanting to live. And in this case, I'm wearing my heavy armor. I've got martial proficiency in a particular weapon, which means I get to use the cool martial feats, the, the weapon mastery. And uh, yeah, we're going to have fun. I'm going to stab you or beat you, whatever. <laughs> All right, well, let's let's hop into Tales of the Valiant. So, uh, what do they have going on? All right, so Tales of the Valiant, the the alpha is ongoing following their successful Kickstarter. Um, the cleric was the first full class that they published, one to twenty. The alpha document had um, fighter, cleric, rogue, wizard up to level five. So, this is the first one to twenty class we've seen from Tales of the Valiant. So a lot of the changes were actually fairly minor because they wanted Tales of the Valiant to be close enough to the 2014 rules that all of your existing content cleanly works with Tales of the Valiant. So Tasha's, Xanathar's, um, Cobalt Press's Tome of Heroes, any of your other like third-party supplements that have new character options and stuff, they want those all to work with Tales of the Valiant with little to no effort of any kind. Whereas 1D&D is playing a little fast and loose with backwards compatibility at this point. So like the 1D&D cleric, you now get the choice between um, either being a heavily armored cleric or a caster cleric at first level. 
So you get a Manifestation of Faith feature, and you can choose Might to get Heavy Armor and Martial Weapon Proficiency, and once per turn, you get to add your Proficiency Bonus to Weapon Damage. Uh, you can choose Miracles, uh, which gives you an extra Cantrip, and you get to add your Proficiency Bonus to Cantrip Damage once per turn. So first level, you either get Heavy Armor and Weapons, or you get an extra cantrip, and in either case, you get a once-per-turn damage boost. So clerics right at level 1 are pretty solid damage dealers. And considering the other Tales of the Valiant classes that we've seen so far don't have that, clerics might actually be better at doing damage with cantrips than wizards, which is kind of surprising. So we'll see how that goes. We talked about how 1D&D changed turn undead, so... Um, like, Destroy Undead now does Radiant Damage to Undead. We're all very excited about that. Tales of the Valiant didn't make that change, but they changed it to Turn the Profane. So now instead of just Undead, you turn Undead and Fiends, That's, which is kind of neat. That is kind of neat, yeah. Yeah. It's going to make um, it a lot more situationally useful. Exactly. It does feel a little weird being a an evil-aligned cleric that turns both undead and fiends, but, you know, maybe maybe we'll see options to replace it or something. If you're an evil, turn celestials. Yeah, I was yeah. just going to say turn celestials, but that's never going to come into play. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're in an evil campaign, maybe. maybe. Yeah, they, they 100% might be resisting you. Well, again, like, yeah. I mean... We talked about this in a Celestial game. I ran a game where Celestials were the main opposition, and you quickly realize, oh, there's like four Celestials in the book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to start reskinning fiends, which is something yeah. a fiend would say, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Look, that's why 3-5 had Celestial Badgers. You could just apply the Celestial template to anything, and then you had yourself a new angel. Like, ah, I need a, a another monster here. Celestial T-Rex, go. God. It's fine. Celestial... T-Rex with wings, that's terrifying. Yeah. Celestial... It can smite, why? <laughs> Celestial bone <laughs> devil. I don't know how you'd make oh, that no. work. Yeah. But let's do it. Let's 100% figure... a thing you could do. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <sighs> Let's see. So Divine Intervention was changed just like in 1D&D. &D. Um, so they went kind of a different direction with the cantrip. So it is more explicitly that it's probably just going to cast a divine spell, but you get more control over exactly what it does. So instead of the percentile roll, you now roll 1D20 and add your proficiency bonus against a DC of 19. If you succeed, it works. Done. No percentile dice, much more likely to succeed. Your, yeah, your, no. your floor... I mean, not tremendously more likely to succeed. I want to be I clear. Mean, it's, <laughs> when you get it, it's like 25%. When you get it, it's like 25% chance of success compared to 10%. So it's like, it, it's still not good. It's not a good chance of success, but it's better. It's also not an ability check. So there's no way to really buff it. Like you might be able to do it with the divine college of divination portent or something like that but who knows if that'll be an option so if you succeed you can cast any spell from the divine spell list uh so it ha it typically has to be a spell that you could cast normally so you're like oh great another spell i could already do but you have the option of going above the spell level that you can cast and you make an ability check depending like the dc is 10 plus the spell level so if you're like ah i'm level 10 uh i need help i'm gonna cast a ninth level cleric spell somebody give me enhance ability i'll hit myself with guidance give myself a big boost to this ability check and we're gonna get i don't know what are clerics terrible ninth level spells that aren't wish mass heal 
Sure. Yeah, so, like, it's different. It's a little more in the player's control. You do have the option to look at your DM and say, what would you give me? And the DM can basically pitch you something, and then you can still say, no, I'd rather just have a spell. Like, that's explicitly in the feature, which is nice. It gives the player a lot of control. Um, Level 10, there's a new feature, Heroic Boon. Uh, You can choose either immunity to disease and poison or resistance to radiant damage or necrotic damage your choice if you choose one of those you can change the damage type of any of your spells to that damage type so if you're that light domain cleric and you're throwing fireballs like ah what if these did radiant damage now (laughs) oh god what would a necrotic fireball look like circle of death but small i guess i just i don't know round (laughs) up i guess All right. Um, And we're not going to dig into the subclasses in any detail because we're short on time. But um, we got Life Domain and the War Domain. Since Life Domain is in the SRD, Cobalt Press is really free to do whatever they want with it. But War Domain, since it's not in the SRD, like, you can't really, like, lock down the name War Domain. That's too general. But they can't replicate any of the features. So it has to be a completely new approach to the War Domain. It is, and it's awesome, and I like it a lot. So, like, it, if you're not following the Tales of the Valiant Alpha, um, the playtest version of the Cleric, I believe, is available for free, but we'll link it in the show notes. So go check it out. It's cool. All right, okay, we can't do it just like that. So w- what is, give me one thing from the War Domain Cleric from Tales of the Valiant. Okay, let's see. So their, like, first channel divinity feature is called Mark of Triumph. Uh, bonus action, pick a creature. You and all of your allies have advantage on your next attack against that creature. So it's just like, all right, that guy, that guy dies. And then just everybody beats on them for one turn. It's great. I like that like, a lot. Yeah. It's very simple. It works in any party. Like, it's very easy to build around and use. Uh, there's, yeah, it, it just works. It's really smooth. Again, rogue, uh, get in there. Sneak attack. Just yeah. <laughs> oh, and their uh, their fourteenth level feature, uh, holy strike. Uh, once per turn, when you take the attack action, you can turn a hit into a critical hit automatically. Oh, uh huh. That's nice. Okay, <laughs> I, I like it a lot. See some abuse cases with multi class. Yeah, definitely. Like people are going to throw smites on top of that, and it's going to be awesome. <laughs> Yep. You say abuse. What are, yeah, what are just dead creatures everywhere? It's going to be wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, although, moving into 14th level, yeah, no one's going to get to 14th level. So, <sighs> oof. <laughs> now we're all sad. Hey, Baldur's Gate didn't even let us get to 14th level. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. So, we hit on Tales of Valent real quick. For people who aren't familiar with it, just a couple of quick notes. The power level for Tales of the Valiant is intended to be slightly higher than 5e. They're really leaning into the power fantasy. They're giving you more buttons to push, more options. So, like, you can't look at the 1D&D cleric and the Tales of Valiant cleric alongside and be like, oh, Tales of the Valiant cleric is more damage and therefore better. Like, it, slightly different calculations there. They... They're also going a different approach with the spell list. Like one D and D just walked this back, but um, Tales of Valiant is still going with the consolidated arcane, divine, primal, and weird spell list. Weird is probably going to be like warlocks and bards, kind of like the occult in PF two. Yeah, and Tales of the Valiant is also leaning a lot more heavily into talents, which is what they're calling feats. Uh, you get one at first level. 
And then um, when you get an ability score increase, you can do plus two to one ability, plus one to uh, plus one to two different abilities, or plus one to one ability and a talent. So like talents are going to be very much a part of the thing. So like we don't know what all of the talents are going to look like, although there's like four or five pages of them in the alpha document. So we have a lot of good ones. So yeah, just if you're not familiar with Tales of the Valiant, like those are the various asterisks when you need to look at the uh, classes side by side. So with that in mind, having been through both versions of the cleric, which ones do which one do we like better? What parts do we like better from each, and why? So before we get into that, I want to make an observation, which I think is going to help me level set. Like, what do I actually like better? I also see power creep in the 2024 cleric. And so I feel like Tales of Valiant has been very forward and said, like, this is our intent. This is what we're designing for. We think it's going to be more fun, make for a better game. I, I haven't heard that kind of language from Watsi, but I would say they're doing it. Yeah. Uh, and, and so we might actually wind up with two very comparable games that are very much, you know, I could take, you know, I, I could take any adventure, bring it to either table with either sets of characters, probably have a good time. Yeah, I'd buy that. Yeah. Um yeah, I absolutely buy the the idea that they're both kind of power creeping, but I do like that Tales of the Valiant is being a little more forward about it and saying that it's intentional rather than just accidentally buffing everything under the sun. The the side by side of how they're handling the split between caster clerics and heavily armored clerics is interesting. One D and D, you get heavy armor, you get martial weapons, but you're still bad with martial weapons because they haven't solved that problem tales of the valiant they're giving you that damage boost which is going to make those attacks slightly more meaningful but um the fact that cantrips get it too means that your cantrips are still going to be ahead so like the, the uh the floor has been raised but cantrips went with it so it's i don't know is it better i don't know yeah i mean you ask me that question which do i think did it better i mean that's that's the question that i'm struggling with it's like comparing two very similar temperature pieces of soup it's like which one's <laughs> which one's colder uh, they're both cold and they're both not what i they're both not what i'm wanting but i guess this one's slightly warmer i mean i don't know it's uh, like i Wait, did you order the wizard <laughs> um well the thing like, is i'm looking like, at tyler having so much fun it's like i want what he's having no yeah. i mean i think because we talked about all the issues we had with fifth edition cleric i think while one D D did make steps to fix some of the issues with cleric there's still issues that are still issues or they've made worse they definitely improved some things but Spirit Guardians, unless I hear anything different on that front, Spirit Guardians is still the thing you're going to be using most of the time. Yeah. The reason clerics suck is because of concentration. I mean, the clerics don't suck, don't get me wrong. Clerics are very strong. But the reason <laughs> why clerics can be kind of boring to play is because of concentration. It's a fundamental flaw with 5th edition as a system. So I don't think there's an easy fix to that. There never will be. But... I have to look more at Tales of the Valiant because I I haven't been following it as closely as you guys have. So my first uh, knowledge of it is from what you guys just told me. What you guys told me sounds good. I think they did some things better than uh, one D and D. Like they didn't overbuff 
divine casting, uh, <laughs> yeah. which is good. Divine intervention, I do think I like better in Tales of the Valiant than in One D and D. One D and D, yeah, they fixed the complaints with divine intervention, but doing so by doing so, they made it boring. It's it's fine. Divine intervention was supposed to be like your really special ultimate power that you had connection with your god. Now it's like a baseline feature that wizards get. Cool. <laughs> All right, that's fine. Yeah. It's fine. I it's not something that I'm like that's cool. I don't feel like it's worthy of divine intervention. At least with Tales of the Valiant they tried to they tried to fix it in some way. Debate jury's still on whether they succeeded or not, but I think it was moving more in a direction that I would have liked to see one D and D go. Yeah, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of bad, there's a lot of what were you thinking, Watsy? So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I, I want to highlight a couple of the things that I really liked that I saw in the 2024 cleric. I really like the simplification of having Divine Order basically deciding, do I want heavy armor? Do I want one more cantrip? Later, similar with Blessed Strike, I like that choice of, do I want Divine Strike because that fits the character I'm trying to play? Or do I want the potent spell casting? I do think the buffs on both are fun. I hear what you're saying, that they're a bit overpowered. And I, I like the change of Divine Intervention over what we had with the previous Divine Intervention, basically moving from, this is never going to work, to this is basically guaranteed to work and what I get isn't going to be super game-breaking until level 20. Okay, now when we take that to what's happening in Tales of the Valiant, I feel like they're they're walking a line a little bit because they're saying, like, what, what are we committed to delivering here? We've committed to delivering a game that is going to work with 5e, with 2014 Player's Handbook. In addition... I believe it's true they still have the restriction. Like, they can't take any of the good content, some of the patches that came in Tasha's. And so they really have to strike out on their own. And I say that to say, uh, like, the fix the divine intervention here, where what did they do? They said, okay, the shape is pretty good. The odds suck, and we need to make them better. And so they did. They found a way to roll the dice, intuitive within the mechanics of the game. Everybody's going to comprehend what you're supposed to do here. And you're going to succeed a little bit more often. And that one out of four times that you do succeed and it's going to get better. Maybe it gets to one of three, you know, half the time you succeed. Probably never that. Uh, but, but yeah, that one out of four times or so that you do succeed is going to feel really good. It'll be all the more special because I've, I've asked my God for help a couple times that we haven't gotten it. But here, I really think we're going to die. And then you get it <laughs> and it's going to feel awesome. That's a lot better than a free spell slot for a, for a spell that you didn't have prepared. So to the game, I think that's going to create a lot more fun. I'll also say, and I think this is the huge opportunity that they have in doing what they're doing in Tales of the Valiant. Like, like you said, the War Domain Cleric really is awesome. And as they go to create additional domains or, or spec them out in their own vision, I think this is the place where they can create something really special. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Like, since they're not bound to the existing designs of the 5e domains, Cobalt Press has basically a blank slate to design like what domains they want and how they want to do it. It'll be great. Bring back portal domains. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we have a question of the week this week. This week, our question of the week comes to us from at hell PM me, I think. What is your favorite <laughs> spell combo? Well, to stay on theme... Spirit Guardians plus Spiritual Weapon. There you go. Uh, um, it just works. It yeah. just works. 
a more fun one that does require either multi-classing or having two different casters. Spike growth behind an enemy. Dissonant whispers. <laughs> or, or fear, one of the two. Um, fear if it's like a group of enemies. Dissonant whispers is if one enemy. They just run through the spike growth and take a bunch of damage. <laughs> it's very good. As we mentioned in the Baldur's Gate video uh, 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 podcast, in Baldur's Gate specifically, create water plus chromatic orb lightning. <laughs> Very good. <Yep. laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, I I did that a couple of days ago. It's fun. It was, it's fun. Like eighty damage on uh, from like a second level spell. So let's go. Oh, plus okay. plus maximize plus the automatic critical. Yep. Very good. <laughs> it's real good. Very good. Okay, uh, what I'm going to give that isn't quite a spell combo, but it is literally the most fun I've ever had as a player uh, using my spells and my feats together to do something awesome. So what I would do, uh, I had a gray bag of tricks. And so for folks at home, <laughs> I get to pull uh, a creature out and I throw, or I pull a ball of fur out and I throw it and it becomes a creature. And every time I did this, I really hoped it'd be a small creature, like a tiny, like a ferret. That's what I wanted was ferrets, right? Anything small is good though. So I'm going to go and pull two of those out. I'm going to get them out. If they're small enough, I put one on each shoulder. If they're too big, maybe I ride one in a battle with the other one on my shoulder. <laughs> like, let's see what's happening. But here, we're getting to the critical part. We're getting there. Okay. I get into battle. Uh, and as a sorcerer, I twin spell Dragon's Breath. And then I touch my creatures. And then I command them to kill. Uh, and so this was during the height of Game of Thrones before everything went bad. I'm sitting there with two ferrets on my shoulder like standing up perched and I'm just looking at creatures like Dracarys, let's go <laughs> flames coming off of either of my shoulders, just charring everything in front of me. Uh, and that is the most fun I ever had. It was wonderful. <laughs> All right. I'm going to dip back into third edition for this one. Um, so there are two spells that worked just, just beautifully together. Um, so revivify, which is now, um, you guys know in 5e, someone has died within the past minute, you bring them back to life. It's great. There was a spell called Revenance, which you targeted a dead creature, they came back to life for one minute, then they died again. Now, the crucial part there was they died again, not just I'm like they you. returned to being, uh-huh. So you haul your friend's body around for a while. It's an object until you decide that it's not. You hit them with re with revenants. They stand up and say, "Yes, I would like to come back to life now, please." And you're like, "Cool, I'm not going to waste a raise dead on you. Lie back down. I'm going to use revivify." <laughs> yeah, so basically, you cheat the death rules a little bit. It's fun. You save thousands on diamond dust. Uh, your DM looks at you sideways. It's a good time. I'm, I'm imagining like somebody going for the very similitude. It's like gangrene had set in. This person no longer has a liver because mm -hmm. the mouse you never noticed ate it. <laughs> but we're, yeah, I guess Revivify fixes all that. So we're good to go. Sure does. Fixes any, it, yeah, I believe it fixes any immediately lethal wounds. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> what about if that mouse just lives there now? What if you're decapitated? I'm pretty sure you have to hold the head back on when you cast Revivify. <laughs> <laughs> or, or they're an object. Use Mending. That's, that's three spells. This combo got too great. Okay. That's fair. Look, you added complications when we talked about decapitation. <laughs> I think that's a good place to stop this. Yeah. All hail the Leisure Illuminati.
I'm Reynold James. You'll find me at AmateurJack.com and on Twitter and Instagram at JackAmateur. I'm Tyler Campster. You'll find me on RPGBot.net committing sacrilege with various clerics. Uh, Facebook and Twitter, RPG, BOT, DOT, NET, and most other social media as RPGBot. And I'm Ash Eli. You'll, you can follow me on Twitter at Graven Ashes or on YouTube at Ash Raven. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You'll find links in the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for source books and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on RPGBot.net. Following these links helps us to make the show happen every week. If your question should be the question of the week next week, please email podcast at RPGBot.net or message us on Twitter at RPGBOTDOTNET. Please also consider supporting us on Patreon, where you'll find ad free podcast episodes available through the Patreon and Spotify, early access to RPGBot.net content, ad free access to the RPGBot.net, polls for future content, and access to the RPGBot.net Discord. You'll find us at patreon.com slash RPGBot. Hey, what, uh, what divine domain is the Leisure Illuminati? Uh, what divine domain is the Leisure Illuminati? Hmm. Uh, knowledge? Yeah, knowledge feels right. Yeah, yeah, knowledge feels good. Knowledge feels right. <laughs> that or Arcana. Yeah, okay. Unearthed or regular? Regular. <laughs> All right. <laughs>